Hey, Rockheads, if you couldn't make it to London this year for NSBCon, the very first conference all about in-service bus, we got some good news. NSBCon's coming to New York City, September 29th and 30th. Two full days of sessions on distributed systems development from top speakers like Udi Dahan, Oranini, Ted Neward, and .NET Rocks is going to be there, too. So join Richard and me at NSBCon and take your development skills to a whole new level. Go to nsbconnyc.com and register today. .NET Rocks, Episode 1038, with guest Mike Hostetler. Recorded Tuesday, September 16th, 2014. And we're back. Indeed. This time I got a full cup of coffee. <laughs> That's important. Ah, coffee's a wonderful thing. Liquid sleep, elixir of life. So it's the Tuesday show after the Thursday show where we finally put Fusion to bed. Finally. Any thoughts? That was an interesting series of shows, Richard, and you really outdid yourself. Um, Thank you. I, you know, we know, we sort of knew what was going on because if there was any great big breakthroughs, you would hear about them in yeah. the news. But the thing that I didn't understand that you uh, really showed us in that last show was that cold fusion technically works. It's yeah. just not efficient. Well, it's not what you want it to be. It is right. what it is. The it reality is, is, is there's a bunch of different ways to cause atoms to fuse, and some of them involve plasmas. And some of them don't. Yeah. All right. Well, you'll you'll have to listen to the show to to get the rest yeah. of the story. Unfortunately, we don't have time to recap here. But let's roll the better Noah framework crazy music. Awesome. All right, buddy. What do you got? Well, um, somebody pointed me today to a website that's uh, it's not a free product or a free service, but it is really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's Airbrake. Airbreak? Airbreak.io. All right. So think about this. Think about having exception handling and all of the logging done in the cloud. Okay. Yeah. So here, here's what it is. Air, and this is right from there about uh, Airbreak is the leading exception reporting service, currently providing error tracking for 50,000 applications with support for 18 programming languages. We let developers build better software by giving detailed reports of errors in applications, giving you insight into the health of your application in production. We give detailed exception reports that tell you what happened, what bit of code was responsible, and allow you to recreate the error for rapid debugging. And uh, they have they support many languages, including Ruby and Rails and Sinatra and and all of that uh, PHP, Java, .NET, Python, Node.js. And uh, it's it's pretty popular from what I understand. Nice. It doesn't sound like it's big in the .NET community, but it's certainly big everywhere else. That's right. Now, that doesn't support .NET, because clearly it does. But yep. it's just this is another one of those technologies where, where have you been? We've been doing all this great stuff. Right. Come play with us. And they do have a free trial, so it's worth checking out, I think. Awesome. Good one. Yeah, airbreak.io. Cool find, dude. Yeah, who's talking to us, Love Richard? It. Grabbed a comment off of show 893, and that's the one we did with Scott Stanfield when we were talking about Node. Yeah. That was a while ago, but, you know. Uh, And Jason Short had this great comment, because, Chris, you were talking about all these, you know, the continuing evolution of JavaScript libraries. And Jason says, uh, honestly, the end of the show where it stated, ignore all of this, (laughs) that was just so 30 minutes ago, is exactly what bothers me about the current web dev trends. Yeah. Put a team on a real website, let them run. Site goes live and the team moves on. Now come back three months later, no one remembers what the heck technologies were used on that site and how they're configured and so on. Now imagine that a year or more trying to hire new people to work on that same site. You can't because the tech is already dead and people don't want to learn dead tech. Hmm. No thanks. Wow. I'll stick with ASP.NET, where I know the platform will be supported for more than a single quarter of a year, and Ooh. I can hire people to continue developing it after it has gone live. Ouch. It's a good point, though. Well, I mean... It's cynical, but it's a good point. But, you know, the ASP.NET platform shifting, too. If you've got a site you built on MVC2, good luck finding somebody who's excited about that. 
right? Well, like, what it really talks about is our willingness to jump on the bandwagon for new technologies before they're tried and true. And that's how you innovate, really. Right. You know? Well, and it sort of speaks to... So we pay like, the cost of innovation. And it, and it speaks to this show that we're doing now and the one we did with Scott, which is JavaScript's having a renaissance, and renaissance goes in lots of different directions. So if you value being leading edge, this is one of the things you're going to get. But, you know, obviously, Jace is working in an environment where sustainability is more important, and that kind of rapid innovation impairs sustainability. And that's what he closes with, where he says, I think the real-world aspect of maintenance and revisioning has been lost on the current developers who think they can grab a library that was released yesterday and put it into production environments. Mm. It's fair. Okay. Yep, fair. You know, and it's something to consider when you're looking at these things. At the same time, the language is still the language. Libraries can be relearned, and they can also be migrated from. Right. So, you know, works either way. But it, I, I, I appreciate his comment because it pushed back on my engineering muscles. It said, is that thing going to live tomorrow? Right. Because that's part of what matters when you're building real software. So, Jason, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, Windows 8, iOS, and Windows Phone 7 and 8. And that brings us to our guest today. Entrepreneur and ethical hacker Mike Hostetler is passionate about entrepreneurship, open source, the future of work, leadership, and the modern web. Mike currently works as the CEO of append with extensive technical experience, Mike spent several years in the software industry, working for the government, energy, and telecommunications sectors. Mike then worked and consulted for several startups, and during this time, he spent a considerable amount of time giving back through open source. Mike has previously served on the jQuery core team and contributed heavily to the Drupal project. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me today, guys. Thanks for being here. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you here. So, uh, node and sale.js. Yes. Sales.js. My latest muse of, uh, just fun toys to play with in the open source world. Now, that show I just mentioned in the comment at the beginning was over a year ago. And that was, I think, the last show we really did focus solely on Node. So maybe you need to catch us up because Node's pretty new. I presume it's evolving rapidly. It is. It is. Node is a server-side JavaScript runtime that uh, a really cool developer named Brian took the same JavaScript engine that's inside the Chrome browser, the V8 engine, which is open source itself, and he wrapped it all in a bunch of C++ code to allow you to run JavaScript on the server. Now, this has been done before, but the cool thing that Node did was it put this into a asynchronous event loop, meaning that the asynchronous nature of the JavaScript language could be leveraged more readily on the server, and you could build real-time applications and do all the kind of asynchronous type stuff on the server side. Yeah. And then he went, and uh, a couple of other people joined the project, and they created the ecosystem uh of Node Package Manager, or, or NPM. Dota and this is where Node just really exploded. And Node, the with both the, the runtime itself, Node.js, and the ecosystem that's out there, the Node packages that are available via NPM, it's really blossomed into an exciting, uh, just open source ecosystem for servers using JavaScript on the server. Right. And one of the things this always spoke to me on was this philosophy of, of sort of minimum footprint. You know, I come from an IIS world where IIS is the, you know, that the, the sort of gag, uh, <laughs> Swiss Army knife with the 150 yeah. blades. That yep. to me is IIS. Mm. And you got to close all those blades yourself to only use the one. This is like the opposite. This is one knife. Totally the opposite. Right. Totally the opposite. It at the same is, time, I'm looking at NPM, and there's 95,000 packages. There is. There's a <laughs> lot. We can. I, it, it, that's why we're going to talk about sales today, because I can tell you, I've been involved in Node for three-plus years, which is going back to the early days of Node 0 0.4, when you know it would fall over all the time, was not production-ready. 
Now you have the big boys like Walmart and PayPal investing heavily in Node. Netflix runs Node. Groupon runs Node. So it's yeah. come a long way, but you know the the open source ecosystem and what packages to use, how do we accomplish certain things is um, one of the real keys to getting started with it. Node also is really good at the the services, right? The non-page yeah. things, and that that I think really caught the attention of the uh, the Microsoft community. It did. Node has been invested heavily in by Microsoft. We've actually worked with MS OpenTech in different capacities to, um, you know, talk with them and, and look at how they could best invest in Node. Um, I know Node is supported as a first-class citizen on Azure, right? And it's now um, Microsoft MS OpenTech did a lot of work to get Node running on Windows. So, you know, Windows developers and .NET developers who are probably listening to this show won't get left behind. And, and Node is considered to be a first-class citizen by Microsoft. So if it's a first-class citizen, what is the issue that Node has that sales addresses? And then we'll talk about sales. Yeah, so sales is on top of Node. Node is the runtime underneath. It's the thing that touches the bare metal. And sales is a framework built on top of Node. Just like you said, Node is that raw you know, single thing that doesn't provide any of those blades, you need to bring a framework on top of it. Now, I'll point out one of the key things to understand about Node versus, let's say, PHP. PHP comes with a lot of the low-level HTTP functionality built into the web server. Node does not. Node gives you a raw socket. And that's mm. it. There's something lovely about that, but it there means, is. It's mm, beautiful. You got to roll your own for everything, you know, and that appeals to me. I've been doing that for years, even yeah, in even in boy. .NET. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And of course, uh, you know, Signal R takes that to a whole nother place. It does, and and that's the beauty of it. So sales actually builds on top of a lot of the best practices out there, including really popular packages like Connect which is a low-level HTTP library, and then Express.js, which sits on top of Connect and provides easy methods to you know, respond to Git and POST requests and parse you know, the HTTP body that comes in so you can get at those variables very easily. And then Sales goes a step further and sits on top of that because Express is uh, not opinionated. It just you know provides that functionality to talk, get, and post to the clients that are out there. Mm. What um, you know, if we're comparing this, all of this stuff, where does uh, SignalR come in in this in this relationship to um, Node and Sales? I mean, is there is there crossover there? Because I mean, that certainly makes it easy to do the communication, even, you know, client to server yeah. communication yep. and server to client communication, and then one to many and broadcasting and all of that stuff. Where's the overlap? The overlap with signal R is that they, they both perform very similar tasks. Sales provides that functionality for real building real time applications on the server side in node. Mm -hmm. Signal R does a, a similar task but on the .NET side of the fence. Mm -hmm. So you still need to bring your own front-end application. You can use sales with straight HTML, mm -hmm. basic JavaScript, all the way up to Angular and some of our you know, more cutting-edge frameworks. Same way you can do it with SignalR. It's just a different paradigm on the back end. So yep. in that way, they're kind of competitors. That's interesting. And it, it looks like from the salesjs.org site, they have a video there in the screenshot looks a little visual studio studio-ish but it apparently it isn't it isn't yet it doesn't run in visual studio i mean other than just you know pulling it in that's just the editor right. that looks like sublime yeah that uh that mike is using mike mcneil is the primary maintainer behind salesjs mm -hmm. and it's designed as a way to allow you the developer to pull it down 
you're working within node land and use some of the typical MVC patterns that you're used to in other languages and other frameworks. So you can uh, you know, put together your models, your controllers, and, and you know, pull together an application structure just like you were talking earlier in the show, that's easier to maintain down the road. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you said before, the the get and the put and the, the all of the rest blueprints they're called, I guess, are auto-generated for you? They are. So some of the cool features about sales, when you download sales and you install it via NPM, the Node Package Manager, you just do NPM install sales.js, you can then use sales comes with a really nifty command line feature to automatically create your own controllers and models and a mm-hmm. couple of other things. And then what you referenced, sales has blueprint routes. So those blueprints, one, you just without with a couple of commands on the command line, you can start adding data, deleting data just through normal REST endpoints without having to spend a lot of upfront time defining your data model. It goes kind of the NoSQL approach. This is really flexible when you're getting started. And then it, you know, that flexibility, once you get into that maintaining stage, you're right, you don't want flexibility there. You want to tighten things down and, and sales provides a very elegant way to take the flexibility you had when you're first starting and tighten it all down and turn all of those options off to make it more secure, to start validating your data, and to come out the other end with uh, a very structured application that's more maintainable down the road. Hmm. Wow, that is interesting. That's some that's a, a nice framework to have um, that goes way beyond transport or anything like that. It is. Yeah. It is. It, it, to me, it feels like how you make Node into you know an asp.net alternative hmm. that you can actually build you know, it's funny how important it is just to be able to build traditional crud app and, yeah. and traditional web page interaction type stuff with these tools and so exactly. have some security yeah exactly so sales comes with that that structure to again go from the you know early startup to a structured application and then the generator framework that's the thing that does those blueprint routes underneath People have come and contributed additional generators to actually generate CRUD front ends in things like AngularJS or EmberJS. So it it builds off of that foundation that sales started without being overly prescriptive about what you use on the front end. Nice. So we just give you the choices there, right? Exactly. (laughs) And I do like the idea of JavaScript all the way down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. every, Every turtle's actually JavaScript. Yep. But because uh, it means it's just a code base is that much easier to maintain in theory. The question yep. is, how, where is the M- when I think MVC, I think more, you know, like to me, Angular is that very independent. I'm sitting out on the client and I'm just making service requests. Where does the MVC part come into play here? So you can do it a couple of different ways. Sales has services as well. You can create those models on the server side. So let's say you had a user model and a user controller. So you have now REST routes that you can communicate with the server side from your Angular application. And that frees you up to implement your front-end code with the best way to talk to the back-end code. Mm. Whether you wanted to use a user service with Angular or you wanted to create your own model layer on the front end as well. There, it just gives you a lot of flexibility. And that actually, one of the coolest features that I like about Sales.js is that they took the concept of sockets, web sockets on the front end and REST routes on the front end, and they, they pulled those together in a very smart way. So your REST routes and your controllers on the back end can be accessed both through normal HTTP through your browser or through WebSockets. And this provides a really, if you've ever, if you've ever run into this with a node application, you know how tricky and hard this is. It's socket IO underneath, but you, if you want to use WebSockets with node, you have to end up implementing it twice. That makes no sense. Right. 
sales solves that problem in bringing the two together and you use the same controller methods for both HTTP responses and WebSocket responses. That is awesome. And hey, uh, while we pause here, I need to tell you that Coder Camps is changing the way people learn .NET and JavaScript. If you've been learning .NET on your own, these guys can get you the skills you need to get hired in just nine weeks. They've been around for over a year now, and the results are amazing. Everyone who's graduated has been hired within 90 days, and now they've made it even better by letting students attend camp online. So check them out at CoderCamps.com. So now, now you're getting into the, you know, the, the crossover with SignalR, which is a really great abstraction over WebSockets. And, um, and, and that's what I love about SignalR is that I can, from any client anywhere, I can just communicate and I, and it, and it's a persistent connection. I don't have to worry about all of the technical details of, of dealing with WebSockets because exactly. WebSockets are pretty damn hard. Actually. Yeah, they are. They are. Especially, they didn't start out that way, but then, you know, for security purposes and, and all of that stuff, there's a whole bunch of stuff that needs to happen in there in order for it to work. They really are. If you remember the old Comet servers and, and before the WebSocket standards got solidified, and it was, it, it was not the easiest thing to work with because, one, it breaks the paradigm of the web. Yeah, this is not what the web's had, about, right? No, not at all. But now we're, we're seeing this resurgence of really elegant ways to use WebSockets and Socket.io and, and what Node gives you, what SignalR gives you in a front-end framework. That is really exciting. I'm looking forward to the applications that come out of uh, being able to use these technologies. And I, I get a sense, you having WebSocket support in sales then would be, I have this MVC set up to organize my information on my page, but now I have a pipe essentially to a server steadily updating a frame or a div somewhere on a page. You know, I, I keep thinking like a dial or a gauge or something that the numbers just keep updating constantly. Totally. And it has a basic PubSub framework built right. into it and overlaid. Now, I mean, and you can, there's some smart blueprint routes there. You can subscribe to server-side model updates. Hmm. Uh, and, and it, there's a lot of other packages out there that power that sort of thing. So sales, you know, it doesn't want to be in the business of, of providing a real robust pub sub framework, but it puts it in there and you can override it easily. Everything is, most things now are plugins with sales, even in sales core. And you can easily override a lot of that basic functionality if you'd like to, but it it does a great job of just exposing and make it making it super easy to build those you know line of business apps. I mean that's we're not all blessed with the ability to go out and write greenfield code all the time that right. you know does amazing awesome stuff in the next bottle rocket startup. You know sometimes we're maintaining Win32 apps or, or you know something that's line of business type stuff that people rely on to get work done. And sales takes the attitude of, of just being that workhorse. And it just, it just wants to be the workhorse. It doesn't need the new sexy features. It's going to build the features and use the features it has and, and just do it right. Do it really in a very solid way. And that's what I've really liked about getting into this framework. And the big battle, I think, with WebSockets, I know, Carl, you've talked about this before, is all these browsers are implementing it slightly differently. You know, mm -hmm. to actually have it work everywhere is tricky, and it doesn't fail elegantly. It either works or it doesn't. Not only that, but just, you know, all the stuff with, I can't remember the last time I tried it, but it, there were, like, GUIDs involved, and there's, like, a, some security stuff that you have to do to, you know, just to be able to send data, uh, you know, to, to establish a socket. There's a whole, there's, like, a some handshaking or something. I can't remember what it was, but it was, like, what? I can't believe I have to do all this. Yep. Yeah. The the primary module in the Node world, the best practice module is called Socket.io. And Socket.io is uh, is what sales uses. It builds on top of that. So it it what's what it does, if you've ever had to implement Socket.io on your own, you end up, you know, really building a separate set of controllers and routes that use Socket.io versus HTTP, because Socket.io doesn't talk HTTP, it talks WebSockets. Right. 
And sales sits on top of that and brings it all together in a, in a structured way. So sales doesn't speak HTTP at all then? It, it does. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it, it has a REST front end and then it has a socket front end. Okay. So you have, a, and you can use them together? Yes. All right. Well, it's good. I mean, you, you kind of want both, right? They, they are different creatures. No, no question about it. Yep. And for different things. It's just, a, it's just a question of where the right thing is used. I mean, you could just do page updates with sockets as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's a good idea. We have a, in a pen to, we have a, a project called Amplify.js. Uh, it's been around for a while. And one of the components of Amplify.js is we call it Amplify Request. And it was this small little layer that we built back in the days where we did a lot of jQuery Ajax to consolidate and better organize how we communicated with the server. So we would write our Ajax definitions, and then we would give those a key, and we would call amplify.request with that key, and then we could pass data. Amplify request has different transport protocols. So, you know, it's not tied necessarily to $.ajax and, and tied to jQuery. Uh, in different situations, we didn't need that much, or we could use something else. First thing I did when I started working with sales is I built everything on top of Amplify Request, and then I built a transport protocol that would intelligently switch between if sockets were available, sockets were a little bit faster to update my front end. And I could go over sockets, and then if sockets weren't available or it was reconnecting for some reason, it would actually drop down and use the AJAX request. So it was simultaneous. It didn't even it didn't even have to really care about the difference. As I was building out my front end, it would just choose the fastest thing. Right. Well, yeah, and it's cool to have that flexibility too. Like the two yep. kind of go together. Yep. And you you might be doing nothing more on the socket pipeline and saying you should go ask for more data from me. Yep. And then, then, and then it can do an, an Ajaxy type call or however you want to do that update. It could just force a page refresh. Yeah, lots of choices on on how to take that on. Lots of cool stuff. What about the security model? Uh, you yeah. know, as soon as that's one of the you know, it, it take for granted because I'm living with IIS most of the time. It's like, hey, I've got SSL. It just works. You know, what do you do in in the Node world or with sales to deal with securing the connection? So security uh, gets addressed at a couple of different levels. There's transport security through SSL, and that's something you typically layer on at the web server level in the Node world. Node doesn't specifically care a lot about that, though it does have functionality to, uh, again, we talk raw sockets. It can can do all that SSL through OpenSSL. Right. When it comes to application security, Sales has a, a feature called your security policies. And these security policies are simple uh, functions, callbacks in the node world, where you can provide both kind of role-based security, route-based security. It's very, very flexible with how you would apply kind of these security methods. And you can you know bring in your condition, Check whether you need to, uh, does, does this user own this object? And if not, permission denied. If so, yes, go through, right? That kind of logic. Right. And sales sets up the structure so that these security policies are run on a per route basis mm-hmm. prior to any connection uh, reaching your actual business logic. So it so runs you sort it of set up a role per route then if you wanted. Like it's oh, an interesting way to break out this idea yep. of role-based access control. It is. Very, very powerful. And then they they these security things cascade, right? So you can uh, depending on again how you want to set this scheme up, it's almost like you know there's a this fence you have to get through. And right. that fence is incredibly flexible with how you would implement your policies. And then here's the cool thing, right? Remember, sales works over HTTP and sockets. Right. And because of this structure, all of these security policies apply to both transports. Hmm. 
right so, out of yeah, the box. You've abstracted that away. You don't have to worry about it. Exactly. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to unplug the sockets of intelligence and unfurl the sails of stupidity. <laughs> I love it. Good one. Thank you. It's time to give away a Sync Fusion Essential Studio to one lucky member of our .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who it is, say goodbye to boring enterprise apps. Sync Fusion Essential Studio offers more than 500 controls to help you build stunning applications. And just released an amazing set of ASP.NET controls, 100% powered by JavaScript. Download a free trial at SyncFusion.com today. And SyncFusion has also published over 40 completely free eBooks on topics ranging from Hadoop to Assembly. Each book written by a leading expert contains 100 pages of wholesome technical content with no fluff. So head over to SyncFusion.com slash eBooks to get your copy now. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Brian DePlay from North Richland Hills, Texas. Congratulations, Brian. Golf clap for you, sir. Yeah. He, I hear the clappers. You got the clappers right there. The uh, What we did is Brian just won a SyncFusion Essential Studio. That's a big box of goodness from SyncFusion. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we give away great sponsor tools. And every December, we give away $5,000 of technology to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to be a member to be picked. I keep telling you that. I keep telling you that. You don't listen to me. So uh, we like to ask our guests, uh, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology, Mike, what would you buy? Ooh, I love this question. It's a great <laughs> question, isn't it? Not so, always an easy question. It's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. If I had $5,000, I like minimalism. Music so, or style or what? Style. Okay. You know, very, very minimalist. I love so whenever you shop I at travel. Ikea? <laughs> Some, some more than I'd be willing to admit on this show. Uh, <laughs> so I would buy a tricked out MacBook Air because I'm a Mac guy. Mm -hmm. Air, you can blow five grand on that easy. Mm -hmm. Well, no, yeah, pro you can. Air, not so much. I, don't get ahead of me now. I just more. <laughs> I can get, do this on a budget. All right. Uh, there is, I'd buy the new iPad Air. And an iPhone 6, not at the 6 Plus. Too big? Too big. Like, I like the iPad. There's a different feel there. Mm. It's a 1080p screen, dude, at 400 DPI. Mm. That, I think I just want to see that. I don't know if I, I know, want to. I know. But, it, like, it, every day, I don't know. My, my yeah. eyes start bleeding. Mm. So, I think phone. I'm yep. up to, what, 3750-ish. Uh, so, Apple Watch, because... Normally, I'd probably never buy an Apple Watch. I think that's kind of goofy. But if I had to spend it, I'd probably buy one of those because, and then it'd sit on the shelf. Um, Bose over ear quiet headphones. I got these okay. from as a gift one time. Yeah. I love them. Yeah. Love, 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 love them. The big ones that go over your ears, they are an absolute must for any travel. I agree. And I've got a pair of those, but uh, it was Dan Norse pushing me to get the new ones that are actually in-ear. They're little. Uh, I don't like And this. they sit on the surface of your ear, so they're really comfortable. But uh, they're apparently, they're good noise-canceling, too, and you can actually sleep in them. They're not sitting on your head. Oh. But then you got something in your ear, though. That Yeah. You know, they don't yeah. poke into your ear. They actually sit in the loop of your ear really oh, okay. well. Like the design, Their design of where it goes in doesn't put any pressure on your ear canal. I think it's really smart oh, the that's way they good. built it. It's uh, a question of how good the noise cancellation is. Huh. Yeah, I, I'll have to take a look at those. I hadn't yeah. heard about those yeah, before. Yeah, me too. All right. You just but I love the over-ear ones. Mine, I've actually yeah. had to put new ear pads on mine. I wore them out. Wow. That's awesome. Which there's a kit for it because they're $300 headphones, yeah. right? Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. For 35 bucks, they'll send you new ear pads and you can put them in. That's great. That's great. Mm. A, so finishing it out, a um, there was a Kickstarter recently for a travel backpack slash suitcase thing i currently travel with just a small patagonia backpack and i can go up to a week for that 
and no, I don't, I don't check anything. I, I just, I travel very, very light. Uh, I travel quite a bit. And so every ounce counts and you quickly mm-hmm. learn that, but there's a new Kickstarter that is now expired. I just discovered this, that, uh, there's a very cool travel backpack built by two guys that traveled the world for like a year, two brothers. It's really cool. Um, I'll have to get you the name of that for the show notes. And was that the min all? That sounds that sounds right. The min all. Yeah, think. ended in October from Portland. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a good That's looking bag. The one. Pretty cool bag. Hmm. All the features that I like. Patagonia bag is a really good one. It was an expensive bag, um, but I would definitely upgrade. And then um, I think I'm in you know forty five hundred plus range. Past that, uh, probably a Kindle Paperwhite, maybe. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep, that's a must-have. Yeah, yeah. Every time I lose mine, I just order another one. I can't live yeah. without it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I, I don't know if I can stretch. I, I don't know if I can spend 5000 Well, that's You're close. pretty close. Short. Close enough. That's some good ones, dude. Interesting collection of stuff. So uh, as far as database access goes, I guess sales comes with an ORM that connects to a bunch of different uh, databases? It does. It does. The ORM is called Waterline, right? You can sense a naval feel here. Yeah, nice. They, the the there's a new forum being created, and the proposed name for the new forum is called Scuttlebutt. Jeremy <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Charmy> Timbers. <laughs> exactly. It's it's a bunch of pirates, right? Um, so that's that's where all the you know the really interesting discussion goes on is in yeah. Scuttlebutt. Okay. For those of you who have a naval background, you'll get the joke. Uh, the the ORM, the waterline package, is a separate package that's maintained by the same group of people. Okay. And it provides a consistent ORM layer that then has several adapters. And they the way they built this adapter layer is is fascinating. In your sales application, each model can use a different adapter. And then they they tackle the really sticky issue of being able to associate data across those models via the, the latest feature that was actually just released a couple months ago called associations. And then they recognized, and this is really forward thinking in my opinion, not only do they have adapters that work for your normal SQL databases, Oracle, MySQL, MSQL, Postgres, on down the line. They support NoSQL databases, Mongo, Couch, etc. But then they also built this ORM layer to provide first-class support for web services. Interesting. Because... We get our data not just from databases anymore. We we often have web services that we have to go get our data from. Mm, for sure. So they have a Twitter adapter. Now, it's trivial, right? We're talking basic type stuff. But right. mentally wrap your head around that and think of and, – and it's once you get there, it's like, why didn't anybody ever think of this before? This is amazing. And you can take your user model – if they have a Twitter username in your user model stored in SQL Server mm-hmm. and associate that with the Twitter account via the Twitter adapter. So whenever you need to load that, lazy load it when you're working with your data, it'll just go right out to Twitter, pull it all in, no extra code on your side. It's all, it's all right there. Just easy peasy. It's really cool um, okay. as you're building this stuff. And... Sales Waterline provides all of this functionality. I've used it extensively. It's a dream to work with. Uh, it has. I've been, you know, working with database-backed apps for a while, and it's. I've been very impressed with the engineering that's gone into it from the team. These are not easy problems, as we all know, and in the scope of the problem that they're trying to solve with Waterline, they've done a fantastic job in my opinion. And that's after, you know, 15 plus years looking at this in the software industry. I've seen a lot of bad implementations of ORM. This is a good one. Hmm. 
Um, can we talk a little bit about Grunt and Grunt's roles in sales? Certainly, certainly. So as I mentioned early on, sales comes with a command line tool to do a lot of that, that basic stuff. That command line tool uh, works on Windows and OSX or Unix. Not tested it on Windows, but they there some testing has been done. And one of the things, the command to turn on the server uh, is sales lift. So lift the sales, right? Mm-hmm. Underneath the covers, sales does all the dirty work to programmatically talk to Grunt, the task runner, the JavaScript-based task runner, to combine all of your assets and and set up production versus a development environment. So your development environment doesn't have your assets combined and minified and you can access them through browser dev tools. Right. Production takes care of all that. You put some HTML comments in your server-side templates and it does the magic behind the scenes to minify it, go through Uglify, concatenate CSS, concatenate JavaScript. Uglify? And Uglify JS? Have you not heard <laughs> no, of No, it's Uglify. JS? The Uglify.js is another node module that will take your JavaScript code, your front-end code primarily, and it will run it through an optimizer parser to very similar to Google's Clojure compiler and optimize your JavaScript for delivery in a production environment down to to your front-end browsers. But it also happens to make it ugly? It does. It's terrible, right? It takes all those, <laughs> replaces all the the long, gorgeous variable names with single characters and pushes those things to the limits. So everything to it's a minification process. Then it's both a it's minification optimization. It does it all. It's up there with. Uh, I, I, it is the go to minification optimization tool for us at append to. Mm, it's what right. we use uh, versus Google's code closure compiler. So there's stats out there to comparing the two, but we've we've Uglify is our go-to. Okay, and there's just so much code written in this space these days, um, which sort of sets me up for this next question. I don't know if you have an opinion on this or not. T.J. Holloway, Chuck, you know who yes. I'm talking about? Oh yes, yeah, and one of the most productive. This guy writes. Uh, he's he gives Ornini a run for his money, Carl. Like yeah. this guy's been making JavaScript code like mad. Wow. So back a couple of months ago, back in July, he put out a post saying, farewell, Node.js, he's going to Go land. Yeah, and we talked about Go with uh, Anthony Eden, who uses Go a lot on uh, in uh, DN Simple and um, raves about it, and especially the speed. And yeah. we thought Node was fast. It turns out Go is faster. So any thoughts? Uh, what do you think about his whole comment or, you know, because he's got a lot of node projects that need support now if he's not going to work on them. He does. He does. So it's, it's an interesting situation. And you to understand this, you first have to understand TJ. TJ is one of those guys who uh, I've never met him. I've been to a lot of node events, never met TJ. Right. He is very prolific in the community. Doesn't mean he's not around. But he's not the he's not the out there front guy. Right. He's more content to sit back, do his thing, write great software, and he's very good at uh, organizing and, and collecting people to kind of use his tools. And then it's taken off, right? He builds he he inspires trust, which is hmm. why a blog post like that is so shocking. Yeah, it's a real poke in the eye of all the folks that have come along with him on the node ride. Right? It is, it is. So some of the some of the things that he's worked on, he's done a great job at handing off and bringing along other maintainers, and and that's really the power of open source in the node world. When it, where if something does get dropped, other people, if it's popular enough, will pick it up, and that's happened in a lot of cases. The other thing is that the place that TJ is working right now. Go is definitely a more appropriate language choice for what they're building. Mm, right. Uh, and I, I 
I think that needs to get called out. The headline here, the link bait is TJ's leaving Node. Oh, yeah, no. Node is crap because TJ yep. doesn't want anything to do with it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yep, and and that's really not the whole story. And he actually went to great lengths to correct that in that post. Yeah, because he, yeah, it's certainly like I said, it's link baity that is yep. like yep. And so that's the other piece. Yeah, I mean, his first paragraph's pretty mean, too. I've been fighting with Node.js long enough in production now that I don't enjoy working with it anymore, unfortunately. So at least for now, this is my formal farewell. And more importantly, I need maintainers. Yeah. Huh. I mean, it sort of leaves out, hey, I'm working on this other stuff all the time. Mm. Yep. He gets there later, but it is. So, it starts with an indictment of Node, which I, I don't know if that's fair or not. So my observation is that node is not 1.0 yet. Yes, it's 0. 0.10. <laughs> 0.10, right? Very big difference. 0.10 yeah. is very different than 1.0. Yeah. Node is still growing up, right? Just got his driver's license and it freaks us out every time we get in the car with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it, a good it, way to it. put it. I mean, that's that's where it's at. So you get, if you know that going into node land, right? Everything's cool. <laughs> Yeah, don't harbor any illusions here. Exactly. And then you gotta you also you know throw this up against the big boys that are using node. If you the engineering resources being poured into this have yeah. continued to escalate and and go up. Netflix is using node, Groupon is using node, hmm. Walmart is using node, wow. Bank of America is using node, Target is looking at using node, right? It's exploding right now. And these problems will get fixed. Right. The team behind Node is stabilizing. It just it's turned out to be an incredibly hard problem. Yeah. And when there's a difference between becoming a mature product and the land grab of features that exactly. happened in the early days. Exactly. So you just have to take into account, you know, where it's at. We have built at a pen two and have successfully deployed and run in production for over a year now. Big apps built on Node. And I don't know if I can, you know, talk about them too much or, or what the what the policy is with you guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, we built a presentation platform on it called Present Boldly. Uh, presentboldly.com. We do all of our training through this now. It's all web technologies front to back. Awesome, awesome tool to use. There's friction with it. So we built our next application in Rails and our next product in Rails. Right. Uh, just to compare the two, right? I mean, th- that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to learn, and, and so we can advise our clients because we get a lot of incoming work on Node. And for there are some things that Node is better for. There are some things that Rails is better for. Interesting. And learning the difference is the key. Now, coming back to sales, the reason why I like sales, my background's enterprise software, right? You, I wrote stuff that can't go down. Right. That is a combination of the underlying runtime, the tools you're using. I mean, there's so many different things. Being making it maintainable long term. There's a lot of other frameworks out there that in Nodeland that compete with Sales. They're great stuff. A lot of great people are working on this stuff. Sales is the one that I like the most because it strikes the fantastic balance between future maintainability and historical, just paying attention to Node, trying to smooth out its quirks. Sure. Lots of big apps have been built on sales. And I know talking to Mike, uh, they've deployed some really big stuff on on Node and sales, and it's worked beautifully. So, it, you know, it's, it's the, your mileage may vary. If you're trying to build the next big startup and you're super worried about time to market and you don't have the engineering resources and experience to put into Node, Dabble with it, right? Go learn more about it. Build a, a sample app on the sidelines, especially if you're in the Microsoft world. And this is why I really wanted, was looking forward to doing this show with you guys. The Microsoft world, as an outsider who now works with Microsoft from the open source perspective, it is evolving. Mm-hmm. Stuff like ASP.NET going open source and SignalR, the, the inroads there, Microsoft has identified that they need to compete on that level. And they have said, Node is a big deal. And I think that that fact is getting glossed over because 
of its immaturity and there's limits of how how much Microsoft can actually affect the outcome directly. Hmm, it sure. participates, but it has joined the conversation, which I mean, for me, I was gone from Microsoft land for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I've come back and not only come back, but thrown my weight behind trying to help both people who work at Microsoft and who work with Microsoft technologies to come into this new paradigm and join the larger conversation. Because we need your help. We need your perspective. And Node needs your help and your perspective. And this is how we all get better together. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that we should talk about before we wrap it up? I just appreciate the opportunity to just talk about something. Sales is a passion project for me. I work on it in my free time. I, you know, I push spreadsheets most of the day now, working as CEO of a pen too. So this is, I'm not doing this because we use it a lot internally, though we do. I'm doing it because I really believe in this project and believe in how, uh, just, how they just solve the problem, right? Yeah. It's about pro solving problems and doing, solving them well. And mm -hmm. sales accomplishes that. And that's why I like, like it. And I like talking about it. So, well, that's great stuff, Mike. Thanks for sharing it with us. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes,